Welcome to the Beyond the Lines podcast. In a world where there are a few loud voices spreading division and hatred, we want you to know that there are more of us who want unity and love. We are part of a community of people who love despite differences and listen to the stories of those who have been marginalized. We love beyond the lines of the differences so that our lives can be full of diversity. We listen because we believe in human dignity for all people. Come listen with us and join a movement of people who are willing to love all people at all times and love beyond their lines. Today on the podcast, we have an incredible opportunity to hear from Rachel Brown. She is a brilliant historian and a researcher at an organization called Over Zero. Over Zero is starting to use communication to prevent, resist, and rise above identity-based violence. From Rachel today, we're going to learn about what healthy conflict looks like and what unhealthy conflict looks like. We'll dive into how the fear of perceived threats can cause atrocities like genocide. And we're going to talk about how you and I can make a huge difference in preventing these atrocities like genocide and identity-based violence. I'm so excited about today's podcast. Let's jump in and learn how to love beyond our lines. Welcome to the Beyond the Lines podcast. My name is Jonathan Miller, and I'm your designated listener today on the podcast. And this is DJ Hayward. Welcome, DJ. Hey, friends. A co-listener here yeah. today. How are you doing, DJ? You doing I'm doing good? well. Yeah. I'm so excited about today. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we have a very special guest today on the podcast and Rachel Brown. Um, and because of Rachel Brown, this is a landmark episode for us at Beyond the Lines because she changed. She she helped me see something where I was doing it totally wrong, and yeah. we're changing it. So you may have noticed that our introduction is totally different today because we've learned some really cool things from Rachel. So yeah. thank you for being yeah, here, thank Rachel. You so this much. is so yeah. cool. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. I'm yeah. so excited <laughs> to talk to yeah. you both. Yeah, yeah. Um, we learned some amazing things from you because you are part of an organization called uh, Over Zero, correct? Correct. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are a world-class trainer, researcher, and curriculum developer. And man, we are just so honored to have you here today to talk about conflict. Um, you just, just before we started recording, you said you just love being near conflict and learning from it and and uh, learning how to, to end it, right? Um, and that's what we want to learn from you here today. So first off, how are you doing before we get into all the, the, all the business of things? How are you doing today? I'm good. This is my third day in Arizona right now, and it's been a really amazing trip. I've just yeah. gotten to meet a lot of incredible people. I got to spend all day yesterday with Central and just learn even more about what you all are doing and how you all are engaging and using your voices mm. and your platform and coming together on these issues. And um, it was so cool to engage with the staff and to hear the reflections and the questions. And I'm still just feeling really good from that. It's so exciting to get to work with people that have a heart for this work. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, that is really encouraging too. And um, I'm glad to be able to sit across the table from someone like you. So cool. Um, how do you how do you get started in a field like you have, like in conflict and and learning and researching that? Like, how do you get how do you get there? How I got there is always kind of hard question for me because I think I've always been drawn in some way to this work. Hmm. And sometimes how I describe it or when I think why conflict, why not something else? I think about that. One of the things that we have as humans that's so powerful is that we can collaborate with each other. Mm. We might face challenges. We might face disease, an earthquake, a hurricane. And what do we have that lets us overcome that? What do we have that lets us 
that lets us solve these challenges. It's that we can come together yeah. and that people so with good. different backgrounds, different knowledge can say, we're going to collaborate. Mm. We're going to do the unthinkable. We're going to figure out how to solve this problem and how to live together. And so conflict to me, it's this most avoidable harm and pain that you could think of hmm, hmm. because conflict between groups of people, violence between groups of people, this is a choice. It's not an earthquake. This is the thing that we have control over. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a human problem. Yeah. So it's a human solution. It's something that we can choose. And so to me, it's therefore the most preventable type of harm. And it's not just that is that when we turn against each other, instead of turning towards each other, we lose our ability to solve any other problem. Mm. We lose that, that superpower, right? That collaboration potential um, so that the next time we're faced with a challenge, instead of being able to leverage all that talent, right? And to turn towards each other and say, how are we going to solve this? If we're so busy turning away from each other and harming each other, we're also totally hindering our ability to solve the other problems that come our way. Wow. So I think that's to me, like, that's why conflict. It just feels like this is the thing we can do something about. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what's animated me my whole career is to say, what can we do about this? And I focus and over zero focuses on communication and how the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and who we are and is there an us and a them and the stories we tell about whether violence is justified. Are we going to collaborate? Are we going to turn away from each other? Hmm. Mm. Um, and the way we use communication to connect or disconnect from other people, this is so powerful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and hmm. so, so that's the focus. And yeah, at Over Zero, we just try and use everything we have, the research, the case studies, the historical knowledge, the peace building, peacemaking knowledge, atrocity prevention knowledge, yeah. and bring it together with people that are doing the work in their communities and say, how can we support you? How, yeah. how can we partner? What can we do together? That's mm. so good. That is really good. Well, thank you for the work that, that you're doing because we definitely, we need it. I mean, we need people to be champions for, for peace and we need people to, to just uh, show what it means to, to be human. And I think that's what it sounds like your, your organization wants to, wants to do. It's like, Hey, like there's some really important things, um, that are really key to all of us. And how do we connect with those things and bonds with, with one another? Yeah. And so what are some of those things that, you know, when you think about, um, the ideas of the bond that we can have with one another, what, what, what are the ways that, um, over, over zero, right? Over zero, um, kind of gets that information out or what are the, like some of the research and the case studies that, that you've done that really pointed, can point people in the right direction? That's a beautiful way to put it. And it's a yeah. really great question. And it brings up so many different thoughts for me. And I love what you said there because it brings up, and I promise I'll get to the question you asked at yeah. the end there. Yeah. But what it brings up for me that I think about a lot too is the difference between peace and pacification, mm. right? Yeah, talk about that. And the idea that there's good and healthy conflict, that sometimes there are things that we might not be happy with or things that are really hard that we have to wrestle with and we have to do it together, mm. right? And this question of pacification says, just tuck that under the surface. Mm. Just go along with things as they are. But peace actively says, I'm going to see your humanity and I want to know your experience and I want us to figure out a better way forward together that honors our dignity, that respects and sees each other's humanity. So peace has a value. It has a weight to it. Whereas pacification just says, we're not going to rock the boat. Mm. And so I think that's really important. And it kind of connects to that second question. 
which is that I think when we when we start to hear these certain patterns and narratives that work to divide us, that make us start to see other people as a threat, that start to make us see whole groups like, oh, those people, they're all the same. Mm-hmm. They share some sort of essence. They maybe pose a threat to us. Mm. We have to circle the wagons and protect ourselves. Mm. We should be building that knowledge and that self-awareness to say, hey, if I start to feel that way, if I start to hear that, I need to ask a question. This does not lead in a good direction. We know where this leads. Mm. So we have to, one of the things we do with Over Zero is try and help people see and educate them on some of those patterns that, hey, when you start to see things like this, when you start to feel things like this, when the emotion that's being activated in a group setting for you is fear Mm. or anger, right? Or disgust about some other group of people. Yeah. Take a minute. Mm. Say, what's happening here? And so I think that self-awareness is really important. When we start to feel ourselves backed into one corner, it says, I can only relate to people that are like me in this one way, politically, racially, ethnically, et cetera. You start to see that happen in conflict. Mm -hmm. I can't connect with someone across this one Mm. one line. I can't connect to them Mm. even if we have something else in common. We have to start asking ourselves, wait, where is this taking us? Mm. And I think what's so important, and this gets back to the peace has a weight of values, right? It it values humanity. It values each other is that a lot of times we see these narratives. We see this, this rhetoric, maybe this political tenor. And what it does is it doesn't just activate these really harmful narratives. It also makes people go quiet. People start to say, Hey, this feels yucky. I'm just not going to get involved. Or Hey, if I speak out, maybe other people, my friends, other people in my group, they're going to talk behind my back. Yeah. Maybe they're not going to invite me somewhere. But the problem is a few loud voices can cause that, even if the majority of people don't like what they're hearing. And mm-hmm. so when we know that, we know that people can start to have these conversations with each other and say, I don't want to walk down this path. Do you want to walk down this path? Mm. No. And they start to realize I'm not alone. Yeah. And so I think one of the most important things is for people to connect with each other to realize we don't want to walk down this path. So let's work together. Let's use our yeah. voices together. And let's, let's talk about who we are. Let's talk about what we value. Mm. Right. And, and let's make that visible. Right. Let's make peace more visible. Mm. Yeah. Let's make it active. Let's show what yeah. that looks like so that people see that that's an option. Right. And let's figure out how we can bring more people into this space. So mm. a lot of our work is about how do we help leaders from different parts of society. And and I also just want to say in moments where we see tension and division, what leaders do matter and it's not just someone who calls themselves a leader or who society says that person's a leader. They have a title. Mm. It's anyone who anyone else looks to and says, I want to see what they're doing to see what I should do. Mm. I want to see what they think to help me figure out what I think. Mm. So leaders can be formal, informal. People that don't think of themselves as a leader have that potential to lead in a moment like this. And what we need is as many voices, as many people stepping into that role of leader within their group, within their community, in their circle of friends and their family. Um, We need those voices and we need them connected to each other. So a lot of what we do is just try and help people step into that voice, step into that that action. That's amazing. And as I was looking at Over Zero's website, I noticed that like the first phrase on the website was, Harnessing the power of communication to prevent, resist, and rise above identity-based violence. Can you go, can you unpack that term, identity-based violence, to better understand what we do when we we categorize ourselves as this way and them as that way, um, and then start conflict? What, what is identity-based violence? Mm. It's a great question. Um, 
And I should say, I come out of the atrocity prevention world in part. So a big part of my career was looking at genocide and mass atrocity, where whole groups of people are targeted wow. Wow. based on some part of their identity. And it can be a part that they feel they identify strongly with or not. But the world around them, the group that's perpetrating the harm says, because you're from this ethnic group, this religion, this nationality, whatever it might be, um, you're going to be targeted. Um, and so that targeting of a whole group of people based on some part of their identity, often a part that's not under their control, right, or something that's perceived. Yeah. People are categorized, and then they're painted as a threat. They're mm. painted as, as having done something wrong that deserves punishment or revenge, and they're painted as less than human wow. as a whole group, right? Yeah. It's not by individual. It's this idea that a whole group of people can share an essence or occur. We should always be really careful of that, right? That's never true. Unless you want to talk about humans as a whole, right? right? Right, It's not true that some group, just because of, of their religion or the color of their skin or where they were born, shares some essence that's, that's different from other humans, right? Yeah. So those narratives start to be used to justify harm against a whole group of people. And along with all those narratives of an other, of a them, it's often harder to see that there are narratives of us that become mm. really dangerous, where the idea of us who are fully human who deserve protection, right? Becomes a really, really singular, rigid, bounded identity, right? Mm. There's a line, there's a fence drawn around that that says, this is who's really human. This is who we care about. And anyone outside this line, we don't. And especially yeah. these other groups, right? And so that is, it's identity-based violence because it's activating or it's, it's taking one part of people's identity and it's saying, this is how we're gonna categorize and this is therefore who deserves protection and who, who, who we can harm, mm. right? Yeah. And, and, and again, it's that denial of humanity across the board, um, but it's often done through these narratives that tap into really human things. Mm -hmm. They tap into the notion of threat and fear, and they make it about a group, wow. right? Yeah. They tap into this idea of we have to protect ourselves. They tap into the social pressure that says, if you really want to be part of our group, if you really want to be one of us, you better come along with this. So they're really powerful but and it's part of why they're so dangerous. When we talk about preventing, resisting, rising above, the thing that's so powerful to me is, you know, we sit now with this benefit of history. Yeah, we, yeah. we have more history to learn from than anyone before us has. Yeah. So we know how this plays out. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we see the seeds of these stories, these narratives. We know where they'll take us. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we have the power. We have this opportunity to say, hey, wait, we don't want to walk in that direction. Yeah. And so the question is, how can we use all that knowledge to build commitment, right? To engage more people mm -hmm. and to say, we're going to prevent it from going this way. When the, when these, uh, you know, when, when people or forces work to move in that direction, when we start to see these narratives, we're going to resist them. We're not going to fall prey to fear, right? Yeah. We're not going to mm -hmm. let that take us over. We're not going to fall prey to someone saying only this part of your identity matters. It doesn't matter that you're both parents you both care about your kids. It only matters that you come from a different religious background. It only matters that, that you have this other difference, right? Um, it's just activating only that. It doesn't matter that you live in the same town, right? It mm -hmm. doesn't matter that you might share all these parts of your identity. It's only this one thing that's going to unite or divide you. We're going to resist that. And, and the rise above is, to me, it gets to this notion of how you make peace active, right? It's not just saying we don't want to go in that horrible direction. We don't want to walk down this path. What path do we want to walk down? How do we move towards even further honoring each other's humanity, each other's dignity, and living in a world that respects that? So that's really what we mean. Mm -hmm. by so when that you like, phrase. 
when you are walking with someone that their fear is just overwhelming all the other parts of their identity and having them, you know, connect to just that one. I mean, what you talk about rising above, but how do we break some of that down of mm-hmm. like, I mean, how, how do we get people to see that like what they're fearing is either untrue or not validated or um, I don't know, like how, like how do you kind of break that stuff down for people? It's so tricky and so much of it does have to do with understanding really what's going on for someone and what's the context that they're in. What are they hearing? How often are they hearing it? Who's telling them this group is a threat, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're so sensitive to threat. Yeah. yeah. So somebody says, uh, I think of it like a kid who says, like, there's a monster under my bed. And you look in your <laughs> check and say, no, there's no monster. And they're like, no, but it hid in the corner. You can never really prove that <laughs> it's not there. And that's mm-hmm. what fear does, right? Mm-hmm. It's this future-oriented emotion that says, this bad thing might happen to you. That's the threat thing. I even right? find myself as a parent being like, what if there is a monster? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what if there is? And I look under, I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I get no, that. No, I swear there's not. <laughs> um, I don't want to Right? Yeah. It operates on this maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but what if? But, mm. but it might be, right? And so even if there's that tiniest little bit of doubt, you can activate. And, and the fear can be really real, even if the threat isn't to the monster or to the bed. Like, that kid can feel really scared. And as right. adults, like, I don't know, sometimes if I'm alone in the house and, like, a tree's tapping against the window, I'm like, yeah. okay, I know that's a tree, but, like, I'm feeling kind of, like, yeah, we absolutely. can feel the fear even if the threat isn't real. And so if the stories in the media, if the stories that, if, you know, you have some loud voices that are telling stories that says this group is coming to get you or they're mm. going to do this thing or, or you're under threat, that can become really powerful. And I think what we have to think about is a couple of things, depending on the relationship we have with someone and the platform that we have more broadly to talk about this stuff is help people understand that the fear can feel real, even if the threat isn't. Help people understand how stories can be used to stoke fear. Mm-hmm. Help people unpack that emotion and understand it for yeah. themselves and move forward in a productive way. Mm. We can also think the antidote to fear isn't just saying, hey, there's not a threat. It's saying, kind of hold your hand. If you think about the last time you felt really scared, what did you want? You want human company, yeah. right? You want comfort. So if someone's feeling fear, or if someone's feeling fear about something, you can address that thing. You can help them address the emotion. You can sit with them, right? You can find ways to make them feel belonging, security, safety in a more healthy way. And then you can, when you have that trust and that opening, you can start to unpack it with them. So they've heard a narrative about fear of the other. Okay, what does that mean, Right. Is it Mm. really all members of that group? Aren't there people even in your community or group that do bad things? There's something that we tend to, um, it's like this hypocrisy thing where it's like, I see somebody from another group be violent and people say, look, that says that that group is violent. But if somebody in my group is violent, I'm like, it's just that person. Obviously we don't all support that. Right. Right. And so you can start to chip away at that and say, there are people in all different groups that do bad things. That doesn't say something about the group. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about whatever the thing is that you're worried about. Or we can start to say, well, actually, this is the experience I had, right? And start to tell a story that starts to undermine those perceptions. And this gets to the question, too, of of norms. If people are seeing everybody else around them say, yeah, we're scared, we're scared, we're scared, it starts to feed it. Yeah. Whereas if they see other people saying, actually, when I hear a narrative that makes me feel scared about another group, I start to question myself. Hey, when I did that, this is what I learned. I actually made a friendship. Hmm. I actually learned this about this other community. I actually learned that these stories aren't representative at all. And Mm -hmm. that, right. So then you can start to chip away at the, the narrative that's being used to drive the fear and also start to model and right. Set an example Mm. and create the momentum in a different direction. So we're not all going along with this Mm. story. We're actually all questioning it together. And this is, so, so it's this combination 
of a lot of different things. And I think the other thing is that when we get into this idea that only one part of my identity matters, it's this really singular, rigid version of who I am and of, of what group I can belong to that cuts off connection to others. So the other thing we can think about is like, there's this question of how can you change the perceptions of them? How can you change the norms and make really clear the values of what it means to be us? But how do we make there be so many multiple us's and them's, right? How do you find some identity that lets somebody connect to somebody that they felt scared of? Because, hey, we're both parents. Do you know that this community you might be thinking of as other? Maybe it's another religion. Maybe it's an immigrant community. Maybe it's, right? Guess what? I want you to come to a parent circle that talks about how parents feel about, like, what's important for their kids. And now you're relating to that person not as the us and them on whatever the dividing line you're relating as a parent. Right. Or I want us to come together to say, what are we doing here in Mesa to make our community better? or to do a service project or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So you're finding ways to activate a shared identity too. Yeah. And that's automatically going to help someone feel more empathy, less threat. Yeah. Is it really that simple? Like, you know, not, I'm, not <laughs> saying, I'm not saying that, that you're like being that. simplistic, Yeah. but I'm saying like, is it really that simple as like, we just need to get, like people need to be able to see their other identities inside of other people. Um, or is that just a part of the solution? It's just a part. <laughs> it's not really yeah. that simple. But it, it is part of the solution. And I think what mm-hmm. we have to look at um, is to recognize that when we start to see and understand this problem, we have to start to do those pieces. Right. Right. We have to start to say, where's our starting point? Yeah. And that's not necessarily going to be the ending point. Mm. Because if you think about the work that's being done to divide, people are working really hard. Right. Yeah. And yeah. again, it's not that that's what the majority of people want is that there's some very loud voices that are getting big platforms, right? Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. the question is, um, how do you try and counterbalance that? So, um, and think about the broader environment that people are exposed to. So I always say, what can I do internally in my community? What can I do with the platform I have to the people that I'm already in community with and that that look towards me? And then who else can I connect with in my community Mm -hmm. and build relationships with so that we can start to impact that broader environment? Mm, so yeah. it's all pieces of the puzzle. and I, But I think that what's important is that we don't all have to do it all, yeah. right? I think at the individual yeah. level, we can each say, okay, who am I? Who looks to me? Who listens to me? Right. Where am I connected? Where else could I build a relationship? Who can I impact? Who else can I talk to to say, what can we do together, yeah. right? And yeah. then we can sort of each play a small role. And if we each did that, right, individually, mm-hmm. it might feel like a drop in the bucket. Mm. But when we start doing that as a community, yeah. when we start doing that collectively as a community, when we start working together, it starts to really fill the bucket. And then when we ins- when that inspires another community because we tell our story. And yeah. I've seen this happen, right? Someone does something and then you share the story of that and now someone else is inspired. Yeah. So yeah. slowly that bucket's getting filled. Yeah. Yeah. And like they, and that kind of goes to like for people who feel overwhelmed, you know, we're mm. talking about like, oh, this is yucky. This is like, I'm going to be passive. Like right. what you're saying is like it when you're just when you can focus on what you can do, um, that idea that there's too much to do, like it, it actually kind of breaks it breaks it down for people. And I think, I know for me, like in in my life, when I when I think about the stuff that happened all in 2020 that we're still dealing with today, and it's like I I don't know, there's just so much. I I, I just like throw my hands up in there and kind of yeah. give up. And it's like no, like there's something that you can do. So do those things. And and what's really yeah. important, I think what Rachel's saying is you don't have to do it alone, right? Yeah, we can, yeah, yeah. We, there's a lot of people out there who also want to see the unity going on, mm. that also want to see 
uh, us reach across the lines and love. Uh, and so we don't have to do it alone, right? but it's when we feel like we're totally alone at that, that's, that's the problem. And that's when we start not doing anything. Right. Yeah, we're totally, yeah, like, yeah. Who wants to do anything alone? Right. Really? Like, unless it's reading a book, reading a book. <laughs> yeah. I love to read a book, but <laughs> it's different. true, but it's yeah. true. It's hard to do something alone. And that's why I think starting the conversation is an important first step because when you start the conversation and when you start it about this issue, not about some other issue. And then it says, Oh, why is the division getting in the way of this issue? When you actually start it by saying what's happening, right? How have we like, what, what are some of the things we're not okay with that we're seeing? Some of the ways that people are talking about other people, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the ways that people are othering, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the things that people are saying that they know are false, but that are being used to divide and to stoke fear, right? Mm. When we say in our environment, this is what we're not okay with. So what are we going to do about it together? When you start the conversation there, you start to say, okay, who else am I going to do this with? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And I think it's really that's important good. to have those conversations and to know, hey, guess what? We all care about this. And now people see that it's not. And when people see a group of people taking action, that's easier to join than it is to just self-start and do something on your own. And I think that's where community becomes really important. And community is really rooting themselves in values around peace and in values around uh, engaging in this moment. Um, Because then somebody says, that's a community I can join and be part of. That's somewhere I can belong and I can do these things that I care about. And it doesn't have to be that weight of, how do I start this on my own? Yeah. And so I think that that that's something for, for again, like different types of leaders or people that just care about this. I mean, just you, you all inviting me on this podcast today from, from talking just yesterday, you're like, okay, we want to start this conversation. That's already a step. Um, and obviously I don't have all the answers, but the fact that you're opening this conversation, the fact that you're already having the love beyond conversation, right? Yeah. This, this is a space now that people can come into. And I think, um, the more that you're connecting with each other and that we're saying, who else can I connect to? Who else can I learn from? Right. Mm. Then we start to build that, that momentum. Yeah. What are some people groups or uh, groups or communities throughout history or that have done this well, like where you've seen like there's immense conflict, but there's a great uh, group of people who are willing to stand up together and live for peace. So where have you, like in your research and in history, I'm sure there's tons, uh, absolutely tons. So what are a couple or just one that, that you can tell us about to, you know, just remind us like, Hey, this is, this is possible. Well, I'll start with one, but feel free to ask for more. Yeah. It's true. There are great examples. And I think again, for history as a teacher, right? Like, um, this is where we're so lucky to be able to to learn from from what's happened before us. But um, I think that the Muslim community in Rwanda is a really amazing example Mm, because we're talking about one of the more extreme forms of group targeted violence. We're talking about the most extreme, right? A genocide in Rwanda. Um, And always in war and genocide, you have individual people that for some reason don't give up their personal moral values to the broader narrative or or the broader group and they stick to them and they rescue people even at cost to themselves and at great risk. But it's pretty rare that you have a whole community that's not like a resistance fighting movement or something that says we're not going to participate and we're actually going to resist and we're going to push back. And the Muslim community in Rwanda is this amazing example because they were comprised of both Hutu and Tutsi. And not only did the Muslim community pretty much as a whole not participate in the genocide, they actually actively rescued thousands of victims. Incredible. Um, they ferried people to safety across rivers. They gave people shelter, Muslim and non-Muslim Tutsi, in mosques. And when militia groups came and said, you need to separate, um, they refused. 
and and in at least one instance were killed because of it. So people were really willing to pay this ultimate price to say, no, this is who we are. This is our values. We're not going to participate. We're not going to kill. We're going to rescue. And I think um, what's really interesting, this has a lot in common with other examples. And what happened there is that um, people were being pushed into the Hutu and the Tutsi identity, right? They were told, this is the identity. The narrative said, Tutsi are a threat. They have to be gotten rid of. It had all of these hallmarks of the dangerous and hateful rhetoric. The Muslim community said, it's not that we're Hutu and Tutsi, we're Muslim. So they activated a, a cross-cutting, unifying identity, in this case, a religious identity. And then the leaders were proactive. They didn't wait for the genocide to start. Mm. They saw the language. They heard it on the radio. They saw what was happening. Yeah. So they proactively started issuing statements and teaching at the mosques and in the madrasas, the religious schools. Mm-hmm. They started preaching and they started talking about how a time of temptation was coming. And that if ever there was violence, if ever there was divisive rhetoric... What did it mean to be a good Muslim? What did it mean to follow the teachings of the Quran? It meant to never take an innocent life. It meant that if there was ever violence, you didn't participate, you rescued victims. Mm. So they really set this narrative of this is who we are. They set this narrative that said, it's not about the threat of us versus them. It's about the threat of temptation away from our values and who we are. Mm. And they taught it on all their platforms, right? Like I said, at the mosque, in the religious schools, they issued letters they went so far as to find a way to get on a radio broadcast, wow. right? So mm. they found every channel they had to reach their community and say, this is who we are and set that social expectation. So that whereas in other communities, someone engaging in rescue behavior, they're doing that risk. They might not be able to tell their friends or family so that they get turned in. In the Muslim community, people collaborated. They would hide someone in their home. And then when there was an inspection, uh, an inspection they would um, pass people over to the neighbor's house, right? So they collaborated. They didn't have to do it alone. Yeah. Because they set their values, they set their so their expectations early on, and then they work together. Um, and I think we see this over and over again, that action from different types of leaders working together early on to activate an identity and a set of norms and values that says, because this is an identity, it's not the conflict identity, right? It's something that unifies us, that roots us in values, and that connects us to other groups. In this case, right, there was non-Muslim Tutsi that were rescued as well. Yeah. And this is the, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to behave. Um, and they communicate across all the platforms. They saturate with that, right? Mm-hmm. In competition mm-hmm. with some of the divisive pressures and rhetoric that's coming. And they activate. And th- there's other examples. There's a city of Tusla in Bosnia mm. that similarly they activated. They had people of all um, ethnic religious backgrounds. And during the war... Even though there was a little context about what was going on. So the war in the Balkans, there's, there's a war that was going on and it was happening on, um, uh, ethnic and religious grounds. Mm -hmm. And this was a city that was really diverse. It had people from all different backgrounds, Muslim, Christian, Serb, Croat, Bosniak. Um, and so there was war all around, but in Tusla, as the war was getting started, first there were some really nationalists sentiments and rhetoric and groups active but early on a coalition of civic leaders civil society union leaders the mayor religious leaders came together and they said we're not going to have this here they activated their identity of being Tuslin. they even committed the mayor commissioned a song he went on a public speaking tour this is what it means to be Tuslin. we're going to live and work peacefully together and they they activated that Tuslin identity they said this is who we are this is what it means to be Tuslin. And even when there was fighting all around, even when they were under siege, wow. um, they stayed and lived and worked peacefully in the city. And when anything would happen, there was like what a leader from one religious community was kidnapped, for example. Because all these leaders were connected to each other, 
they were able to come together, not do retaliation, get that person returned, make sure it didn't escalate into fighting within the city, Mm. address the issue. They were able to do things like provide support, come together and provide support to each other to survive under the siege rather than saying, hey, your group is putting us under siege, right? Right. The the forces of of this military. So it was, again, by activating a common identity, doing it with values and with norms, doing it early on. So it's not like the fighting already Mm. broke out there saying, hey, we're not going to do this. Mm. This is who we are. And activated that social expectation. And there, what we can see in Tusla is they built relationships across all different types of leaders. And each of those leaders were able to go to their community and calm them down when they need to, right? Mm -hmm. And provide information. And they were able to coordinate with each other to make sure any issue that came up, they addressed it. And then they were able to coordinate together to survive through a war, to survive through a siege and support each other. So you see some of these patterns over and over again. That's just so amazing. It just really reminds me of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. like he came and just gave us an identity of who we are and we are to love thy neighbor. We are to love one another. People are going to know that you are my follower because how you loved each other. It's just such a, a, a interesting um, thing yeah. that you kind of point out, just like sparked my mind. Like, man, that, that is what Jesus laid out for us in, in the gospel. It was like, this is, this is who you are. So when, when things are going to go bad and things did go yeah. bad and things will go bad this is who you are and as a believer as a person who follows jesus like that's who i tether my faith to that is who i tether my identity in is in him and so therefore if i can tether my identity in that and what the truth that jesus shows man i'll I'll be able to probably do a lot better off if i if i didn't do that i think that's just really really amazing really good yeah beautiful yeah and i think uh something also I'm hearing from these different circumstances is that these leaders in these different groups who activated their identities to remain peaceful and to work together despite other identity differences, uh, they saw it coming beforehand and they predicted based on kind of the language you, you have been saying, like where the, the rhetoric is to dehumanize and the loud voices are saying dehumanize and divide and, and uh, latch onto one part of your identity, ignore the rest. And so they saw they saw this happening and they saw it coming and they, uh, with the Muslim example, they said there's a temptation coming. Mm -hmm. And so how can we be on our guard and and watching so that we can see it coming as well, you know, wherever we are, you know, it's so interesting. Um, I think another way to put it is they didn't wait for it to get even worse. Hmm. Right. Cause none of them were out of nowhere saying, Hey, this thing is coming. They were watching what was going on around them. And instead of waiting for it to get so bad that it becomes harder and harder to do something, they saw the dehumanization. They heard that rhetoric. They knew where it might lead, but they didn't wait for it to go there to do something. They didn't say, hey, I think I can sit back now because maybe it just won't be that bad. Maybe somebody else will take care of this. So another way to think about it would be it's not so much about being able to see into the future. It's really looking at the present and saying, what are we seeing right now? And I think right now, if we look at what we're seeing right now yeah. here. Yeah. And again, I worked internationally most of my career and have been working here for the last four or five years. Yeah. Um, we don't have to wait for it to get worse, right? We can look at what we're seeing and say, this isn't okay. And this isn't a path we want to keep go one more step down. Yeah. Right. We don't want to keep walking this way. We're going to address it now. And the things you do to address it now, if things do end up walking a little bit more, you 
you've helped curtail it already, right? So I think I think another way, um, you're making me rethink how I even say that. It's not that they, it, I mean, it is that act of saying, I think things could get worse. But what they did most of all was say, I'm not going to wait for it to get worse. Wow. I'm going to yeah, look at what I see true. right now and say, this isn't where I want to be. And I'm not going to keep going here. I'm not going to wait till it gets worse. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for yeah. that. That really makes me rethink. I think, yeah. I think that's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. So what, what are some of the things that you are seeing right now and that your organization is saying, hey, we're not going to let it get, get worse, this type of whatever? I should say, you know, we've been doing this work. I've been doing this work for 11 years all around, and we've been doing this work, you know, for a lot of years here. And, and because we focus on communication, this was one of the early things. Um, one of the things we started seeing really early on um, that made us concerned was targeting of people. And this is often one of the things that happens first. Groups that have already been somewhat marginalized or discriminated against in some way. So society says it's more acceptable to say, speak in this way about those groups. You start to see them getting targeted first. So one of the things that we saw really early on was targeting of Muslim communities mm. and the narratives that said this group is dangerous, right? Um, that used all those threat narratives and the dehumanization and of immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. Right. And really mm-hmm. dehumanizing language that says they're a threat, et cetera. And so what, that's one of the first things that I thought, you know, your ears perk up when you're used to hearing the, when you're used to thinking about these patterns. You say, hang on a second. This sounds familiar to me and really not in a good way. This sounds familiar to me in that I know this pattern mm. that says we have to protect ourselves. This other is so scary. And what that does is it makes people feel that fear circle the wagon. It creates this us in need of protection. And so those patterns of rhetoric and we've just seen that i think and again it's not what the majority of people want but there are loud voices that are getting big platforms and starting to promote that and and that i think has just uh escalated and i think we're, we're, we're seeing on a lot of levels you referenced 2020 you know the amount of lies um false information sort of propaganda that we're hearing that's used to divide mm-hmm. um we have systems like elections to help manage conflicts. So when people start to question that, they start to make violence an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we saw that with mobilization around January 6th, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. When did we ever think that would be something that could happen? Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's possible because that threat narrative has been built up right. that yeah. says anything is okay, anything is justified. Right. Because, because, yeah, yeah. it's the self-defense. Right. right? And so I think there's a lot that we're seeing right now that's cause for concern. To me, one of the things that I think we have to watch for and I think we have the power to guard against is that, you know, a few loud voices can have a really big impact, especially when they're threatening violence or harassing people or when they are violent. Right. Mm -hmm. It creates a big media story. It starts to seem like that's where the energy is. That's where the momentum is. And I think what we have to guard against is people going silent and disengaging. Mm. Right. And if you look at societies where things go really wrong, it's not that everyone participates or wants it. Right. It's that the silence, the disengagement permits some group of people to engage in that way and to dominate the narrative and then to dominate the course of events in history. And so I think, this is both where I see risk, but also where I see opportunity and where I see a lot of hope and inspiration is that I think that as things have played out, more and more people have said, have become awakened. And this is that question of like, 
uh, do we want to go further down this path? Mm-hmm. I think it's almost this question of when do people become awake to what path we're on? Yeah. And when does a critical mass wake up and say, hey, we want to go in a different direction? Yeah. And the earlier that happens, the more momentum we have, the more chance we have to go another way. And I, I think we still have that chance. And so I think that what's exciting, what, what the thing to guard against is more silence, more disengagement. And the, the place where we have an opportunity is for more people to engage and say, this is who we are. These are our values. We're not going to engage in threats and intimidation, harassment. We're going to stand up for people that might experience yeah. it, right? We're not going to accept narratives of hate or violence that targets different groups based on their identity we're going to go stand with them right and so you see people activating and standing up and 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 bringing the energy and the attention um to that narrative and 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 in doing that you're creating more space more opportunity for even more people to get engaged that might have been afraid to earlier Mm -hmm. or that might have felt like because we're doing it together because we're doing it together so to me the risks are all the things that we see that are really harmful but the risk that's harder to see is the risk of silence and disengagement. Mm. And I think we really have an opportunity to address that. Mm, yeah. What do we do? Like I, I being from like, I feel like majority culture uh, as a, uh, for those groups that are marginalized, what, what can we do to say, no, they have a voice and it's important. You know, mm. how, how can we participate in that together and be a part of and like, okay, I see, I saw them silenced and I just saw them dehumanized. Uh, by some loud voices, but I know there are many more people who don't like that, but are mm-hmm. afraid to speak up. How can I be a part of giving them a voice again and and encouraging them in the midst of that? Yeah, I, that's a really important question, right? Where there is um, a group that has been uh, historically had more power or historically had the, the dominant culture, right? And um, in a society. There's there's a few things I think are really important. I think what you're asking is really important, right? Um, one is to start with the self and say, who am I in relationship with and who am I listening to and learning from? Yeah. One thing that we know over and over again is that communities that are targeted, communities that have been historically marginalized, communities that are targeted early on are often raising the flags. People are saying, hey, this is a problem. And you can see this. We saw an increase in hate violence before we saw January 6th. And you saw communities saying, what are we going to do about this, right? Hey, this is what we're experiencing. Um, Mm. What often happens is that those red flags, those early alerts get ignored because it's like, oh, that's just happening over there. Yeah. So the first thing is listen and learn and think about who is at whatever table that you're having a seat at where you're planning or you're thinking, what can we do? And the first thing is to say, how am I learning from other people's experience? How am I finding out what is going on right now by listening, right? And then when there's an incident, we do this when we're thinking about like, how do you respond to something? If there's a particular community that's being targeted, rather than just saying, this is what I think the response is, right? Um, Instead of just jumping to this is what I think the response is, you can say, who do I know in that community? How can I have a conversation with them and say, what should the response be? How can I show up for you, right? So it's not something you have to figure out on your own. It's yeah. something you have to figure out through building relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And, and becoming that 
tie. Maybe you have That's influence so within your community in a particular way. Now, if you have a relationship to people that are from other backgrounds or have or, or other communities, now when something happens, you can be saying, hey, this community actually wants to be supported in this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, we can bring somebody in to speak to our community. Actually, um, I have a link to somebody in the media that's going to be reporting on this. We want to make sure that they're not reporting on the hate group that just that 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 just showed up. We want to make sure that they're reporting on how this community is responding and they're not going to be intimidated. Right. So we want to hear from a leader from this is just an example. Right. But you figure that out by working with communities. Right. Because communities have been targeted. They've been dealing with it. So they know they know what's going to work. They know what's not going to work. They know what's going to be harmful for them. Right. Yeah. And I think the question is. Uh, you're asking a question, how do I use my platform to do good in this way? Well, again, you don't have to figure it out on your own. It's just, it's listening. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. building the relationship and then being able to listen and then being able to bring that back and serve so as that good. bridge mm-hmm. and that activator within your community. That's really good. That is really, really good. Are there, um, are there any like books or resources you like just pop to your mind? Like, wow, this is a great one to get started in this arena or, or is there just too many? <laughs> I know there's a lot. There are so many. Some of those case studies I just talked about, there's a book called Opting Out of War. Okay. That's mm-hmm. really beautiful. Um, I would suggest um, as well, as we think about what we're seeing in the U.S., looking to books that talk about reconstruction. Okay. Um, looking to books that talk about the anti-lynching movement mm. and our history of racial terror lynching. I think that, you know, we can look internationally at historical case studies. Um, I think it's really important to look at U.S. history and how did we address type of violence that was meant to intimidate people out of public participation in space here mm. in this country historically. I think that's there's a lot to learn from that. I end up reading and my team ends up reading a lot of like neuroscience and social psychology and oh, yeah. and and those are less books and more um different articles and different research and there's a ton of great stuff there but um i'm gonna think of like 10 books as soon as we finish <laughs> recording this and i'm gonna tell them to you and you can just read them off before you put this out but i'm yeah. totally yeah, yeah yeah definitely send me send me an email and i can put them in the show notes as well and cool mm-hmm. we're actually working on a website right now i don't know when it's going to be up mm-hmm. but we're, we're going to have a have a more resources page for each episode cool. that's mm-hmm. the hope anyways um oh, that's awesome but as soon as that's live we'll have it in the show notes that website um and yeah and so send me send me your resources beautiful please do i love it um and then uh hopefully someday you guys be able to find that and i'll let you know when it's live so um that's gonna be really cool because we have so much great stuff and unfortunately this is about the uh our time has run up and something i i think it's just so cool fascinating and and and, uh, fantastic is every time i've gotten a chance to listen to you you're so passionate about what you talk about and several times throughout like our training yesterday you said i could talk you know, for hours on this. Mm-hmm. So there, we know that there's so much more information out there, so much more to learn. Yeah. And that's what we are all about here at Beyond the Lines is learning and growing mm-hmm. um, so that we can be a part of this movement that is ready to be peacemakers, ready to love um, and humanize all people. And so yep. um, thanks for being a part yeah, of that. Thank you so that's much. so cool. Thank, thank you. you. So yeah. Thank you for what you're doing. It's really inspiring. And I have to say, I feel really honored and really grateful to get to be a part of it. And I, um, I know this is the end of the podcast, but I'm so excited to stay in conversation with you both with central. Um, and I'm just so appreciative of you. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely have you on again anytime we can. So, uh, thanks for being here. (laughs) Thanks Rachel. Appreciate you. 
Thank you everyone for joining us for today's podcast. I hope you learned as much as I did from Rachel Brown. This was amazing and incredible opportunity to hear from her. And we're hoping to have her back on the podcast again later. Um, I'm just here to ask you, check us out on Apple iTunes and give us a review. That would be so, so helpful in helping this uh, podcast spread the word about peace and unity. And you could be a part of that group by joining us in that. Also, if you're on YouTube, leave us a comment about any questions you might have from this podcast. We could talk to Rachel Brown again. We can even answer your questions in the comments if we can. So do that, please, as well as give us a like and subscribe on our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Share it with your friends. This is an amazing, amazing episode. I think more people need to hear because I think there's so many of us who want unity over division, who want love over hatred because we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves. So thank you for being a part of that community and I'll see you next time for Beyond the Lines.